It really is one of our greatest joys uh, to partner with families, uh, to be a strength and encouragement. And I want you to know, uh, beyond sort of the formal ways that we do so as a church, uh, to a much greater degree that happens in informal ways as you individually uh, just reach out to those that you know as a source of encouragement uh, to families uh, as we raise our kids together in community. So I'm going to jump right in. I do not have enough time to get through what I need to get through. I have not, for a very long time, wrestled as much as I wrestled this week to articulate what I believe this story wants to communicate to you this morning. There are some weeks where I read the story and I go, okay, that's pretty straightforward, and I feel like I have a pretty good idea of some truths that are presented through the narrative. And this week, I was just like, even last night as I was kind of wrapping up, I was just still in a wrestling match, and I finally said, I gotta go to sleep. So I closed my laptop, reset my clock, laid in my bed, and laid on my pillow, wrestling over uh, what I'm gonna share with you. Now, you're gonna hear it here in a few minutes, and you're gonna say, that was not that big of a deal. Just give me a break, okay? It was hard for me to come to this. What I wanna show you this morning um, is absolutely essential. It's one of the, it's, it's a technical truth of the gospel that we need to come out with some precision. And it was actually that precision that I was uh, wrestling with, trying to, to, to share this with you in a way that was concise and yet really captures God's truth. So I'm going to tell you a story. We're going to pick it up in Genesis 15. Uh, this is a story that you're... Uh, many of you might be familiar with. And uh, this is a story that Paul tells us a couple thousand years later in the book of Galatians that this story was given as a picture of something. It's a picture of a spiritual reality. So let me tell you the story and then we'll unpack the picture. Genesis 15:1. after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you and your reward will be very great. This is three chapters after uh, Abram had first received the promise. We went through all those experiences with Lot. Some time has passed. God shows back up in Genesis 15, says, by the way, don't forget, I have some plans for you. And Abram finally decides to take issue with God. He says, God, I know that you said that, and I know that you've made some promises. But if I'm being totally honest, it seems like you're dilly-dallying. I don't know if you realize this, but I am super old. So you promised me uh, uh, offspring, a nation in fact, a blessing to all the nations of the earth through my offspring. Um, that window of time has passed, so um, let me help you out. I'll tell you what, uh, I have a servant that I really like, he manages my whole household, he kind of runs the show around here. Why don't, you, uh, why don't you accept him and the promises can be fulfilled through him? God says, no, you are going to have a son. In fact, he says, Abram, I want you to go outside. I want you to look up at the heavens, count the stars, take your time. You're going to have more offspring than the stars that you can count in the sky. 
And verse 6 tells us, this is a key passage, and then Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as a righteousness. I often get asked the question, especially by uh, young students of theology, how are the saints in the Old Covenant saved? How did they gain access to relationship with God? The same way that we do, by entrusting themselves by faith to him and saying, God, I trust you, I believe. And God gives Abram the gift of righteousness. And then there's this little story, and I don't have time to get into the technical details of it, but Abram brings a couple of sacrifices, takes animals, splits them in half, lays them apart, and then falls into a trance, and God shows up like a furnace and walks between them. And this was a way of like ratifying the covenant. It was like signing the covenant between God and Abram. Afterwards, Sarah approached her husband, and she said, I don't know if you've noticed, um, Abram, but I'm super old, and um, I'm concerned that God has kind of set himself up for an embarrassment in saying that we're going to have kids, and so I figure it's about time that we kind of help him along. And so my thought was, uh, I have a servant that works for me. Her name is Hagar. Um, she is within range of childbearing. So uh, maybe, you could, maybe you could take her and we could have a child through her. And once she delivers, kind of like uh, surrogate, then we could just, I'll, I'll take that child. It'll be ours, the child of promise. <laughs> and Abram says, Okay. <clears throat> So they had relations, Hagar got pregnant, and after getting pregnant, now, of course, you can imagine, um, we kind of read this as a one-dimensional story, but these are real people. These are real relationships, right? She gets pregnant, and all of a sudden, she kind of doesn't like uh, what Sarah represents, that this, they're going to they're gonna basically take my child from me. And so Hagar starts treating Sarah with some animus, with some uh, contempt. And Sarah goes to Abram and says, you see the trouble that you created? <laughs> Abram says, dude, it, she's your servant. You can do with her whatever you want. And what Sarah decides to do is be horrible to her. In fact, it says it got so bad that Hagar eventually just ran off. And this is not like, this is prior to like Haven House days, right? There's no shelter for women who are harshly treated. Um, in fact, in, in this instance, it's literally leaving all of your provision, all of your uh, security, and just saying, I'm going to start walking that way out into the wilderness. And the story tells us that an angel appears to Hagar and says, Hagar... I'm not unaware of you. In fact, I'm going to honor my commitment, and I am also going to bring a nation from your son as well. I want you to go back to your home. I want you to go back to Abram and Sarah's home, submit yourself to her authority, and stay there. 
And so Hagar agrees, and she names that place. She actually gives the place the name, the living God who sees me. And then Hagar gave birth to a son. She named him Ishmael. Well, God shows up again, visits Abraham. He says, I'm going to change your name to Abraham from Abram. He restates his covenant. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to uh, bring from you nation. And also, you're going to carry in your flesh an outward sign of my covenant with you. And Abram said, tell me more. And God said, it will be circumcision. And Abram said, why did you have to tell me that? (laughs) And there's a whole teaching that we could jump into at that point because it really, it represents the the weakness and removal of the flesh versus the promises of God. But we don't have, we're not going to dig into that this morning. And then God makes something very clear to Abram. He says, Abram, I want to, I want to, I want to clarify something to you. Sarah is going to be the one through whom my promise is fulfilled. It's going to be your wife. And Abram, being the mature father of the faith that he is, says he laughed at God. (laughs) Not only did he laugh at God, But Abraham actually makes a case. He says, I don't know if you've noticed, but my wife is super old, right? Also, I did you a favor. I had a son, Ishmael. He's here. If you want to make it easier on yourself, you could, I mean, he's available. He doesn't have other plans, right? God says, no. Sarah is going to be, in fact, he changes her name, mother of nations. He says, from Sarah, not only will come nations, but will come kings. A little bit more time goes by, still nothing. Says that three messengers showed up. It's kind of this mysterious story. One of them is the Lord. The other two, it's unclear as to their identity, but they're with the Lord. They meet Abram there in his camp. They share a meal together, and, and they tell Abram. It says, the Lord told Abram again, uh, by this time next year, your wife is going to have a son. And this time, Sarah heard it. She was in the tent, and she laughed at God. We have the whole story of Sodom and Gomorrah, which I'm also not gonna jump into this morning. But Abraham uh, Abraham travels from that place to the south country, to a place called Gerar. And there's a king there, the king of Gerar's name is Abimelech. And Abraham pulls this trick that he pulled last week. He tells his wife, why don't you pretend like you're my sister? Because even though you're 90, you somehow are still ridiculously good looking, and this could cause me problems with the neighborhood. So if you pretend to be my sister, then they're less likely to kill me and steal you. <laughs> Sarah says, okay. And so Abimelech, sure enough, he sees Sarah, 
takes her into his household. And then God confronts Abimelech in a dream and says, you're going to die for what you've done. And Abimelech says, dude, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know what you're talking about. And God says, you took Abram's wife. And Abimelech says, hey, hey, you, he said that that was his sister. So he calls Abram in and Abram says, well, (laughs) that's funny. Yeah, actually, technically, she is my sister because we have the same mom, so we're like half-sisters. So I wasn't exactly lying when I said that. And then he says, then he says, also, when I originally left Ur, this was like a couple decades previous, when I originally left Ur, I actually made my wife agree with me that everywhere we went, she would pretend to be my sister, and that was so that I wouldn't get killed. But what's particularly frustrating about this instance is that God had just told Abraham and Sarah, the two of you, you two, and only you two, you are going to have a son within a year's time. And it's in that year that Abram says, I don't think God was taking Abimelech into consideration when he made that promise, so we need to kind of help him along. So Sarah, why don't you be my sister? Of course, Abimelech is very apologetic pays them lots of money. So it kind of works out for Abraham in an odd way. And then the story tells us God gave Sarah a son and named him Isaac, the son of promise. That's the story. Paul tells us in Galatians 4, if you want to jump into Galatians 4 at some point over this week, you can dig into this a little more. But Paul says in Galatians 4, beginning of verse 21, he says that Sarah and Hagar are a picture of two different ways of being in relationship with God. Sarah represents those who receive the promises of God by faith. Hagar represents those who are trying to earn the promises of God by their own effort. Not because of Sarah or Hagar's behavior per se, but because of Abram's behavior, right? Sarah represents dependence upon God to deliver on his promises that I received by faith. Hagar represents my efforts to secure the promises of God through my own efforts. Sarah represents true freedom. Hagar represents true bondage. So here's the technical point. Ready? I'm going to show you graphs here in a second. It's about to get crazy. We know this truth, and this is a fundamental truth of the gospel. We know that the promises of God cannot be secured through our own efforts, right? Fair? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You guys know this, right? It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This was not of yourselves. It's a gift from God, not a result of works. Nobody gets to boast. But we also know that those who have received this gift in a genuine way, by genuine faith, walk in that gift. That there is an outcome, right? When you receive the gift of Jesus with genuine faith, you begin to act like Jesus. 1 John 3, 9. No one who is born of God practices sin because God's seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So let's unpack the picture. Sarah, true freedom. Hagar, bondage. Let's define freedom. 
biblical definition of freedom is freedom of desire, first of all. Uh, I'm, my, my heart goes after something. Freedom of ability means the thing that my heart wants, I'm able to go after. And the freedom of opportunity to pursue ultimate joy and fulfillment. That's a biblical understanding of true freedom. The thing that will bring me maximum joy and fulfillment for all of eternity, I'm able to go after it, I have the opportunity to go after it, and I have the desire to go after it. Everything is aligned towards that noble goal, right? That's freedom. What the gospel teaches us is that ultimate joy and fulfillment can only be found in Jesus, right? So gospel freedom is the opportunity and the ability and the desire to find my ultimate fulfillment and joy in Jesus. That's biblical freedom. And that looks like, you could call it any number of things, it looks like righteousness, obedience, love, If I decided today that my ultimate joy and fulfillment is to go skydiving, that would bring me maximum joy and fulfillment for all of eternity. And so I head down to the airport to hop a plane, to hop off a plane. When I get down there, the, 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 uh, or on my way to the, to the airport, my car breaks down. I do not have freedom of opportunity, right? The opportunity has been lost. I was supposed to get down there, but now I can't get down there. <clears throat> if I do get down there, I get to the tarmac and I say, hey, I'm gonna put on this uh, parachute. I want you to take me up and drop me out of the plane. And they say, well, uh, you have your certification. You've been trained. And I say, oh, no, I don't. I don't need training, I just want you to take me up and drop me out. And they say, well, you don't have the ability to do what you want to do, right? You might, you might desire it, and we have the opportunity, but you're not capable. Say, so, oh, okay, okay. So I go back and do all of my training, right? Watch the videos, take the course. Now I'm, now I'm able. So I go back and I hop on the plane and now I have the opportunity and I have the ability and I fly up and we get up to a, a cruising speed at 10,000 feet and the door flings open and all of a sudden I realize I don't want to anymore, right? I, uh, I, I, I don't desire this. But my wife is with me, you know, and my brother is with me and... They both seem super confident, so I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't actually want to skydive. I'm actually setting for something I want that's not skydiving, but something else, and that is to avoid shame. And so I just go for it anyways, right? But my desire is not free at that point. I'm compelled. Well, let me show you what the world does. This is where the world gets this wrong. This is immorality is the belief that ultimate joy and fulfillment can be found somewhere else besides Jesus. The freedom of the world 
I have the opportunity to jump, I have the ability to jump, I have the desire to jump, and so I'm going to jump without my parachute. And that's what the world calls freedom. It won't bring you ultimate joy and fulfillment like you think it will. In this sense, this is, this is something that, I, that, that believers struggle with. In this sense, the unbeliever, the carnal person, is more free than the religious person because they're able to do exactly what their desires tell them to do, right? The difference being is that it does not lead to ultimate joy and fulfillment. It leads to devastation. And then there's the religious person. The religious person is in bondage because they lack faith. What was the limitation for Abram? He was invited, right? So he had the opportunity. He said, yes, God, I want to follow you. But Abram could not deliver on the promises of God. He did not have the ability. God had, had, had promised these things to him. And he says, I, I'm thankful for those promises, but you must not be aware of my own inability. And what Abram's mistake is, is that instead of receiving those promises by faith, he decides, I'm going to figure out my own way to get God to deliver on these promises. I'm going to do it through my strength. And this is like a, this is an undercurrent of this whole story, is that this, the, the religious person who is trying to, to circumvent the path of dependence, of humility before God and receiving these promises, the religious person who goes about trying to secure the promises of God through their own strength always leaves a wake of victims behind them. The first one is Hagar. How did she get brought into this mess? Abraham's lack of of, of faith that could withstand his own doubts. His own wife becomes a victim of his lack of belief, right? I know God said, we're having a baby, but this, I don't, I just, this is an unsafe situation. So let's do what we need to do. Abram tried in his own strength to make up for what he lacked. Sarah represents the freedom of receiving the promises of God by faith. This is the freedom. This is the covenant of the gospel. Hagar represents what happens when we try to lay hold of what God has offered according to our own strength, according to our own works, and according to our own power. I will bring it into existence. Which begs the question, why, why do we avoid this? Why do we struggle to receive the promises of God by faith? Because it requires a position of continual dependence and humility and weakness before God. And I don't know about you, 
But every once in a while, I like to prove that I'm bringing something to the table. Freedom of the gospel is when I have acknowledged and I say, Jesus, you are the ultimate joy and fulfillment. And as I rest in him, as I place my faith in him, as I make myself dependent upon him, he performs in me a supernatural thing. And that is, he forms in me desires consistent with that, abilities consistent with that, and the opportunity to go after him. Chris, you can go ahead and come on up. Through faith in Jesus, we have truly been set free. We've been given the opportunity to pursue joy in him. We've been given the ability to pursue joy in him. And we've been given the desire to pursue joy in him. All, all by faith. In the book of Galatians, the whole premise of his letter is that they received the promises initially by faith, but were then convinced that they maintained the promises through their own effort. And Paul says, no, 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 you were set free to be free. Galatians 5. This is right after talking about the picture of, of Hagar and Sarah. And again, I would encourage you to dig through that on your own. He says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Christ set you free in order for you to enjoy the gift of true freedom. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery is the conviction that I'm on my own to produce for God the things that he needs. For you were called to freedom, brethren. This is my only request, that you do not turn this freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but that you would, through this freedom and because of this freedom, serve one another. Yeah. You would love each other. God, it's amazing to me that even though the testimony of our lives confirms our own inability over and over and over again, the natural man in me wants to hold on to a belief that I have got to produce something for you I place myself under that bondage. And yet you've invited me into relationship by faith. The, 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 the source for the life of righteousness, the life of obedience, the life of love found in relationship with you. So may we trust you for the impossible. May we go to you again and again and say, God, I can't deliver 
on the things that you have promised. Look at my inability, look at my weakness. I'm not physically capable. And in that place, may we experience you in all of your majesty working on our behalf. And in that place, may we experience the supernatural gift of your empowering presence in us. God, we come before you now to worship. Would you guys stand?